0: interval training is designed to teach supervisors how not to be a jerk, not because they should be good people, but because we don't need worker organizers using that as a way to organize a, a, a fucking union campaign. Yeah.
1: I want to get old by the banks of the
2: river. I want my children to know that I fought for
3: this year. I've often said with the local schools here that are privatized, I said, you give us their students and they take our students, student for student, and we could do a better job every day of the week. You're, you're plugging right into that fiber,
4: getting the fastest speed you could possibly get. One gig up, one gig down.
5: That is correct. That's what they want. That's what we want to be able to do.
6: Unfortunately, a lot of people are misplacing that idea of culturally responsive teaching with the critical race theory because they're both CRT.
7: You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. On today's show, Mel Buer of the Morning Riot Podcast joins the Valley Labor Report to talk about a wild, and I mean wild, white paper from a union-busting group that compares union organizers to IEDs in Iraq. On the latest Solidarity Center podcast, Carmen Foro, Secretary General of the Central Union of Workers in Brazil, describes how an Amazon community is standing up to plans for a river project that would destroy their livelihoods. While education should not be partisan, it is most definitely political. The Educating from the Heart podcast sits down with three members of the Florida Education Association's Republican cadre to discuss their challenges and successes. On Labor Vision, James and Charles talk unions, coalition building, broadband infrastructure, and more. We wrap up with Working to Live in Southwest Washington, which returns this week to explain why the Evergreen School's replacement levy is important to everyone. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show.
8: We got rid of those folks on the radio. Uh, so howdy. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for staying with us. We are now in overtime and we've got some good stuff. Mel Bure is joining from Morning Riot podcast. So Mel Buer is an adjunct English professor. She is writing a book on radical media for OR Books. She is the host of Morning Riot. Mel, welcome to the Valley Labor Report. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. The reason that (laughs) I brought you on was to have a good laugh. You uncovered the Labor Relations Institute, their white paper, Mm. Left of Boom Best Practices for Proactive Companies in a Changing Labor Environment. The Labor Relations Institute is actually the union-busting firm that Hershey's contracted in their Stewart's Draft Virginia anti-union campaign so Mel can you tell folks what is so interesting about this paper
0: yeah so the labor relations Institute is also the union busting firm that was brought in to saver industries they have also I think more famously if we you know what's been going on with the collectivo coffee roasters union drive the NLRB got involved because labor relations Institute I think was found to doing some nefarious shit, really. And uh, I think there was a formal complaint actually filed against them for some of the shit they were doing with the Collectivo Coffee Roasters, who I believe uh, were successful in their union drive despite this. But if you look at the Labor Relations Institute website, all it is, the whole company essentially is meant to Avoid unions in the workplace. That is what they make their their money on. And they have been in business for for 40 years. They claim to have won uh, 10,000 plus elections, which means there are no unions at those workplaces. 250,000 plus direct relationships preserved. And they have a series of white papers on their website that are publicly available. And one of them is filed under this folder that says, what can your business learn from the Iraq war? which, God, it's absurd. (laughs) It's absurd, right? And Left of Boom is this white paper that was written in 2010 by Philip Wilson, the president and general counsel of LRI. And the whole idea is that it uses this very heavy-handed sort of comparison of union organizers being Iraqi insurgents dropping an IED in the workplace. Wow. Um,
8: So what is the advice— basically that the this union busting firm gives the bosses who in this case are US military members to find the jihadi insurgents, which is presumably union organizers.
0: Yeah, the biggest ones that I took away from, you create this culture where employee engagement is based on building what they call a what do they call it? A promoter sort of culture. So you create a culture where your employees are active promoters of your organization and where you are stressing projects and engagements that increase the number of employees who are promoters. So instead of people talking shit about their job, you create a culture where they don't talk shit about their job essentially so that they can bring in more individuals who are interested about that. There's also employee survey research, which I consider to be surveilling your employees. And what you're doing is you are identifying what they call key nodes in the informal communication network. So this is where the surveillance happens, right? So it's a structured interview process where you're identifying key influencers among employees, not only people who would potentially potentially begin to agitate for workplace organizing, but also people who would be able to do the sort of counterinsurgency that you want to do in a workplace. And mm. you, you influence those individuals to make sure that they are promoting the positive company culture, right? They have this trademarked training called <laughs> tripwire training. It's trademarked. They've trademarked the phrase tripwire training, which uh, apparently is uh, designed to teach supervisors and managers how to recognize behavior change in the workplace before it spirals out of control into a boom event. So essentially this guy has ran with this metaphor to its like, logical end Mm. this has Mm -hmm. been the thing that they've been trafficking in for at least the last 10 years they have a whole ass training program for management that's all based in this sort of make sure the bomb doesn't go off in the workplace i think he's probably so proud of this shit he probably is so chopped about it fucking ridiculous but it's hilarious because it's like active interval training is designed to teach supervisors how not to be a jerk not because they should be good people but because we don't need Mm -hmm. worker organizers using that as a way to organize a a fucking union campaign.
8: Mel, thanks for taking the time to join us. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me on. This was a great conversation.
9: Hello, sisters and brothers, and welcome to the Solidarity Center podcast, an interview show that highlights and celebrates the individuals working for labor rights, the freedom to form unions, and democracy across the globe. I'm your host, Shauna Bader Blau. I'm also the executive director of the Solidarity Center in Washington, D.C. Many of us are rightly concerned about the impact corporations are having on the environment and the resulting degradation and climate crisis we see unfolding around us. And for many workers, especially marginalized workers, the crisis is here, now. Flooding, drought, and extreme weather events are pushing workers to migrate, often in low-wage jobs under dangerous conditions. Workers in highly polluting industries face the dual impacts of occupational health and safety hazards and environmental degradation. I could talk more about the effects of the climate crisis on these workers and the wrenching harm they suffer because of poor environmental stewardship by corporations and governments. But on this episode, it's more important to hear from someone on the front lines of the crisis. Carmen Foro, union leader from Brazil, is going to tell us what's happening in the Amazon region in Para State, a dense, lush rainforest where she was born. Right now, a community that makes its livelihood in the Amazon is standing up to the Brazilian government that without consulting with the people most affected is on the verge of undertaking a blasting and dredging project along a river waterway that would destroy their livelihoods.
2: Meu nome é Carmen Foro, sou agricultora familiar do estado do Pará, no coração da Amazônia
1: e estou secretária geral da CUT Brasil. So my name is Carmen Foro. I am a family farmer in the state of Pará, which is in the heart of the Amazon, and I am currently secretary general at the CUT here in Brazil.
2: A CUT é uma central sindical brasileira, a maior do Brasil, e ela congrega many de muitas centrais, ela congrega trabalhadores urbanos and e trabalhadores rurais. Eh, na minha região, no Rio Tocantins, já existem muitas obras
1: de produção de energia e de transporte hidroviarios. And I want to share a little bit about the experience with the caravan. In the region of the Tocantins rivers, River, we have uh, many infrastructure construction works right now uh, undergoing. Both in the energy and also in the transportation, in the hydroway transportation sector. Na década de 70, foi construída a segunda maior hidrelétrica neste rio. So in the 70s, the second largest hydropower plant was built in this river, the Tocantins River. Como nós sabemos, o
2: capital planeja suas obras para centenas de anos.
1: And as we know, Capital plans its construction works to last for hundreds of years. Esta etapa será, etra- será a etapa da
2: construção da hidrovia Araguaia-Tocantins.
1: So now we are seeing the stage of construction of the Araguaia-Tocantins Hydroway. Para que serve essa hidrovia? What is this hydroway for? Ela
2: serve para transportar soja, minérios, que vem do Mato Grosso para chegar a Barcarena, um porto estratégico, e transportar esta soja e minérios para Europa e Ásia.
1: So, uh, what is this hydroway designed for? Well, its intention is to transport soy, soybean and iron ore from the state of Mato Grosso in Brazil into a port called Barcarena and from this port the soybean and the iron ore will be exported into the uh, European Union and into Asia.
2: Nós não temos problema contra o desenvolvimento.
1: And to build this hydroway, they will remove, or rather, explode a region of rocks, which is called Pedral do Lourenço. And these rocks have been there for thousands of years. They were created by nature. And these rocks will be exploded throughout a period of three years. Três anos de
2: implosão não sobrará nenhum peixe,
1: nenhuma alga, nenhum ser vivo. So with three years of explosives in these rocks, there will be no fish left, no algae left, no living thing. Este rio é tão importante para a vida que economicamente é sustentável. This river is uh, so important for life in that region that is it is uh, sustainable from an economic perspective. A peixe para vender inclusive para fora do estado. We have enough fish to be sold even for other states as well.
2: É um lugar turístico, o Pedral do Lonço. Da Pedral, so what we want nós queremos que o futuro governo converse com a população
1: we want the future administration to talk to the population. E de do rio. And we want the future administration to give us guarantees on the rights for the future of this river. Eu quero à deste rio. I want to get old by the banks of this river. I want my children to know that I fought for this river we want to put pressure on governments
2: implementação da convenção 69. we want
1: to implement 169 convention from the ILO políticas públicas we want public policies de preservação do rio to preserve the river
2: e nós entendemos que este é o caminho democrático da construção dos nossos direitos and we believe this is the democratic way to
1: build and preserve our rights esse é o caminho Garante o nosso futuro e a nossa vida. This is the way to ensure our future and our life.
9: I'm Shauna Bader Blau, thanks for listening. You're listening to Educating from the
10: Heart. Thank you for joining our lively conversations with teachers, support professionals, parents, and students as they share issues that matter most in our public schools. Here are your hosts, Tina Dunbar, and Luke Flint.
8: We'll talk with a group of Republican educators who chose to join their union and work with other like-minded colleagues to raise awareness and redirect education policy. Mary Rivera, Patrick Strong, and Sheila Watson are all educators and members of FEA's Republican Cadre. The three of them are focused on influencing legislation as they advocate for a pro public school agenda, one that will benefit all children in Florida. We start the conversation with Mary Rivera talking about the inception of the Republican cadre at the FEA statewide meeting in 2018, where she worked to pass a new business item or an NBI to create the cadre.
11: I was part of the um, committee that composed the MBI in 2018. I think it's important for educators to be activists for public education because God knows that the public is not advocating for us. I thought it was an important venture to get Republican members specifically involved in the political process because we're so Republican-heavy in Tallahassee. And who best to communicate with these Republican leaders than Republican members of their delegations. And so we wrote the NBI specifically to get Republican educators in Tallahassee to speak to their local representatives on behalf of public education and on behalf of labor unions across the nation.
10: You've been a key member of the cadre for several years now and had multiple opportunities to talk with your legislators on education issues that are important to you and your colleagues. What has surprised you the most about your conversations?
11: They have deaf ears to educators in general. And we thought it was important that members of their kind communicate with them the fact that. Republicans are teachers. There are teachers who are Republicans. It's not a democratic population of the workforce in the state. It's a group of people who care about kids and who care about teaching and our society and that we have needs, we have desires, and we're part of them. We're part of that organization, the Republican Party, and that we want to be represented equally as well as the Democratic um, delegation, and we're not being heard. So through the cadre, our voice has been loud and clear and has really opened doors for us as an educated community, as well as a union. Our voice just gets more loud and more powerful. And our mission is being heard and shared throughout the state.
10: Some parents intentionally choose public education, yet the majority of our political leaders don't seem to respect that choice.
3: Wouldn't you agree? So, so we have to go back. We have to go back in history a little bit for me. My wife is a 32-year teacher, and I've been, I've been associated with the district for about 18 or 19 years now. So when my wife was first a teacher, I said, there's no need to join the union because some of those things like privatization stuff, that kind of sharpens your skill. So after I got involved with the education, public education, I quickly learned the problem is there's not an even playing field and i think we saw that last time with trump's administration to be honest with you he said we don't have an even playing field with some of with china and stuff with our trade so when we bring that into public education and private private schools are getting grants and they're getting all of our maintenance funds and they're getting 95% of our FTE, and they don't have any standards that they have to live up to, or they don't have to have certified teachers, and they don't have to pay the teachers any specific amount. You, When you can't even measure, how can you say they're doing as good a job for us? And one of the biggest things for me, because I've been an education support professional as a paraprofessional the last 18 years in an EBD classroom, and those ESE students are very near and dear to my heart, and I tell you, when they can't go to a private school because if they try to, they're immediately kicked back out and they come to back to a public school. So I always say to have apples and apples, they have to take every student that comes to them. I've often said with the local schools here that are privatized, I said, you give us their students and they take our students, student for student. And we could do a better job every day of the week.
10: Thanks for listening. Until we meet again, keep educating from the heart.
12: Welcome back to the Labor Vision Podcast, the official podcast of the Michigan AFL-CIO. And we are very blessed to be joined right now by Bay Local 6143 President Geronimo Guerra. Cheers. And now that I've totally butchered the enunciation of that name, can you hit me back with how it's actually supposed to be said, bro?
5: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Geronimo Guerra Geronimo Guerra it's, uh, it, You listen
4: to it how it rolls off his tongue See, that's yeah. the reason why Just listeners out there That's why I had Charles introduce him because it will not roll off my tongue. Oh man, we're we're so Midwest up here in Michigan. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, my Southern draw is better than my Spanish. Yeah, go yeah. We'll, but we'll. thanks for
12: uh, making time to be honest. This is very exciting for us because James and I are both CWA members as well. So it's very rare that we get someone from CWA to talk to about stuff. And you were kind enough to come on, and I know that broadband is just as important for you down there as it is for us up here, and I just think we can't talk about it enough, so thank you. No problem, no problem, guys. Thank you all for having me on. Do you know the, the total number that's coming into Texas for broadband infrastructure?
5: I've heard, and just just talking, I heard it's a pretty close to a billion dollars. I know that we have uh, 64 million here in San Antonio that's actually been distributed. Yeah, there's lo- lots of money here. I think my team, like my legislative director, Charles uh, Fuentes, basically has done a really good job of networking with the city officials here to make sure that our union, union guidelines are set in union, basically union the base legislature is basically in there to be able to make sure that there's standards and, and pay standards and for labor organizations and just a good pay for a good dollar. You know what I mean? We are tired right. of uh, contractors taking our work and doing a bad, and they're contractors usually from different cities and states too. So we're holding our uh, officials and our city council here accountable. We've met with them. We're actually on a, a, a table discussing with the city, how we're We're going to roll out the broadband infrastructure in rural areas and in basically some of the low-income areas as well.
12: That's wonderful because I don't think people realize that there are those that are actively lobbying against their best interests when it comes to how the broadband, the high-speed internet, because broadband confuses some people, how the high-speed internet is being Put out. They don't know that there's companies out there that are lobbying for lower speeds, for non-fiber options, for less coverage, where they can just maximize their profits. And this is taxpayer money. This is stuff that you and I and everyone else pay for. It's our stuff. We should be getting their best bang for the buck. You should have That's someone right. who's qualified, putting it in right the first time, not some fly-by-night company that was putting in sewer grates the day before and now laying broadband the next day and it's going to go bad in a week mm-hmm. and, and it's going to double the cost on it. So I think this is also a place where our, our interests line up with these companies. And I'm glad to hear that it sounds like y'all are working together. Yeah, it's
5: honestly, we do, even though we are involved, we I do see the actual, the big brother, uh, good friend, uh, pat on the back type deals going on as well. It's very hard to get across that. But what we've done is we've actually really done a really good job of holding the people we have endorsed in city council accountable. Letting them know that, like you said, I look at it when I saw this, when I saw the numbers come down and when I saw what they were doing and the PPP money was coming down due to the pandemic. I looked at this saying that they were going to get billions of dollars pushed out, and I said, why waste? Why waste taxpayers' money when we work for a company that has it laid in the actual in the ground? They don't know how. They don't need to build out new infrastructure out of. It's already there. It's existing. All they have to do is give us the okay to run it to different houses Mm -hmm. and rural areas. They wanted to try micro antennas. We proved to them that doesn't work. You know what I mean? We gave them examples how if we have too many uh, people on a micro antenna, it slows down for a lot of different people. So uh, you can't have so many users. And why go with the micro antenna when you can get it? all the way up to your house, ran to your house and you, you could plug right in directly to it. So we've proved that to the actual council. Like I said, I, I think we're doing a great job of, of lobbying for this actual the infrastructure to come down and hopefully, we're hoping that we can actually turn some heads around and make sure that AT&T and CWA are working side by side together on uh, providing good jobs and labor jobs as well, you know what I mean. So that's what that's our goal, and we want to be able to, like I said, increase the actual union jobs here in San Antonio.
4: So you are talking about fiber to the curb, correct? We yes. Yeah, fiber to the yes. Yeah, so so you're you're plugging right into that fiber, getting the fastest speed you could possibly
12: get. One gig up, one gig down. That is correct.
5: That's what they want. That's what we want to be able to do and advertise. But it's a shame that. You know, that the pandemic had to be able to go ahead and bring out this this situation where we knew that there were some areas where people couldn't even actually get into the Internet. There was kids that were not going to school. There was people that needed to work that couldn't work from home. So it was a really good opportunity for us to emphasize the faults of not having infrastructure and why we need it like i said i can't tell you that it's the easiest thing right now because we do have some big fortune 500 companies here in san antonio trying to build their own infrastructure but we are making it known we haven't made known that why spend the taxpayers money on something that's that You have to build when we have it already in the ground. It's already existing. It's a good, we've done a really good job. Like I said, we've been working on this for two years already. It's a long time coming. And I hope that we actually, once we get everybody on the same page, we hit the door running. All right, everyone,
4: please don't forget Labor Vision Podcast, the official podcast of the Michigan State AFL-CIO. We are telling everyone, please don't forget to SLS, subscribe, like, share. Until next time, Charles. We're going to do it again, right? Yes, sir. All right. Later. Peace, everybody.
10: Hello, working people of Southwest Washington.
13: I've missed that. You're listening to episode 27 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council.
10: Shannon Myers
13: and I'm Harold Phillips.
10: I've missed our audience and yes of course we have now recovered from the first annual Labor Heroes Awards of Southwest Washington. In fact we already recorded our kind of wrap-up episode to tell you about it and we were going to release it this weekend but there's something a lot more important and there is a timeline So we wanted to bring that to our audience's attention. And what is this topic? It's the Evergreen School District Replacement Levy.
13: Yeah, that's important. But Shannon, we have a lot of listeners outside the Evergreen School District. I mean, according to our podcast stats, we have listeners from all over the country. Hello, Arizona and France. Yeah, really, it says France. Bonjour. Uh, I mean, why should they care about voters in one small school district in Southwest Washington voting on a replacement levy?
10: You know, Harold, this levy is really important to the Evergreen School District. The reason I wanted to focus on this replacement levy, though, is the tactics the opposition is using. Those are tactics that people are seeing in school district races all over the United States.
13: First, we've got Margaret Hunter. Now, Margaret, you're a teacher where?
6: At Covington Middle School. It's a northeast area in Vancouver.
13: We've also got Sean Gundert. And Sean, where do you teach? I teach at Henrietta Lacks Health and Bioscience High School. It's kind of behind Peace Health Southwest. We're also joined by Monica Stonier. Monica, you also work in the Evergreen School District, right?
14: I do work in the Evergreen School District. I'm an instructional coach for special services. So I work with our students in particular, but also with their teachers to kind of bridge the gap between what the special ed teachers are working on with students and how those students can gain greater access to
6: the general ed curriculum.
13: So why do we have levies at all? Aren't the schools funded by the state legislature?
6: It's awesome when the state fully funds education for students, but currently the state of Washington and most states across the country don't fully fund the education requirements in their district. For example, last year, our district spent about $10 million of levy funds to complete special education supports in our district. Special education supports that are required federally that the state of Washington does not cover. So there's a lot of regular gen ed funding that does not happen through our state.
13: Have you seen any opposition?
6: Well, I'm working on the campaign effort out
14: there. And, you know, just this last few days, we've seen some big signs go up next to the levy signs. Um, We put signs out to remind folks to vote. And these are signs from opposition that are, first of all, illegal because they choose to not follow the law and disclose their funding um, or where they're coming
10: from. do not forget hateful. This is the messaging that we're seeing all over the United States. And that's why we need to talk about this on the show. So let's get down and dirty on this. I want to know what is going on here.
14: Every school board in the nation is facing attacks from misinformation because Our school leaders have taken an equity stance when it comes to teaching kids, ensuring that every student feels validated and seen in the curriculum is something that we take very seriously. And we have some folks that have just taken exception to that. And I find it incredibly disheartening because that's just the first step. The second step is loading social media and the community up with misinformation. And then the third step is using those lies to run against school board members. Our school directors are facing that challenge right now. But now we're finding that battle taken up in levy campaigns.
13: So is this the big CRT controversy that we've been hearing so much about? Evergreen doesn't teach CRT, right?
14: Neither do public schools (laughs) in general across the state. But a lot of teachers are really perplexed about what that is because they don't see it in their curriculum anywhere.
6: Well, I know that a lot of people have asked me as a teacher that they see CRT. In our planning, and they hear that from our teachers' mouths, that means culturally responsive teaching, not critical race theory. So, because they have the same abbreviations, people think they're the same thing. Culturally responsive teaching is like what Monica said making sure every student sees value in their education, that there can be something in the education for them that they can relate to their life or their own background, or possibly even skills that they need right now today. Critical race theory is an entirely different subject matter that most public schools K through 12 don't even deal with. We're talking about culturally responsive teaching has been widely accepted across the country on how to meet our kids where they are and teach them where they are so that we can close their gaps and give them the skills they need. It's a great professional development work by Zaretta Hammond. Have to give her that credit. And it's happening all over the country. And unfortunately, a lot of people are misbehaving. Placing that idea of culturally responsive teaching with the critical race theory because they're both CRT. CRT,
10: it can mean different things. And I know that that is what is in these illegal signs, these hateful signs through Vancouver. So we really need to clarify what these signs mean, what they do to our community, and how do we educate our community that the levy is not about the signs, it's about students
13: and services. Thank you, working people, whether you're in Southwest Washington or France or Arizona, for joining us on another episode of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council and sponsored by the Evergreen Education Association.
7: Hey, that's it for this edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, our roundup of highlights from just a few of the nearly 150 Labor Radio shows and podcasts to make up the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Remember, we've got links to all the shows you heard today in the show notes for this podcast. You'll find all the network shows at laborradionetwork.org. We just did a refresh. Hope you like it. Let us know. You can also find the shows by using the hashtag #LaborRadioPod on twitter facebook and instagram labor radio podcast weekly was edited this week by patrick dixon i produce the show and our social media guru as always is mr harold phillips you can follow us on twitter and instagram at labor radio net you can find out more on our website at laborradionetwork.org For Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock. Stay active and stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show.